Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden, and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Patrick Aboud is an award-winning journalist, documentary director, and TV host. He's an ambassador for 2010 and Wear It Purple. He speaks Arabic and German and is daddy to a two-year-old. Patrick performed this story at Riverside Theatres for Sydney World Pride. Um, I just realised sitting backstage with the other storytellers that I printed my story like on the smallest font you could possibly imagine. Um, And when I get nervous, and I'm always nervous on stage, you wouldn't think it, but I am, um, I tend to lose sight. So let's hope I don't fuck it up. This um, is a story uh, that I call Safe House. Patrick, big C. Patrick, is something wrong? Patrick, where are you? We're at your front door. It's 5.59am and the sun's just come up. That's the voice of my then very conservative Arab mum with my very strict Arab dad standing beside her. They show up completely unexpectedly at the door of my house in Marrickville that I shared with an extended family member who's still not out. So I can't name her, but for tonight, let's call her Amra. Repeat after me. Amra. Good. It's the morning after we've just thrown the most debaucherous high camp party we'd ever known. There's groggy gays, drunk dykes, and tanked trans friends splayed all over the kitchen floor, the lounge room, everywhere. They're out cold, littered with bodies, literally littered with bodies. The house looks kind of deathly, like a scene at the end of a violent video game. And the scenario that's about to unfold is life or death. Well, at least that's what it felt like at the time. Oh my God, what is going on? We've been knocking on the door for so long now and he's just not answering. Oh, something terrible's happened, I know it. Oh my God, what if someone's broken in and murdered him? God forbid, Lord have mercy, no! It's our fault, we should never let him move into the city. I'm gonna go crazy, why isn't he answering? Let's call the police, what's happened to my son? Patrick, what's wrong? Patrick, big she? Patrick, are you there? Nobody believes it when I say Arabs are really dramatic. <laughs> True story. The year is early 2000 and something. I'm just 21. A baby journo living in Western Sydney, not out to anyone except Amra and my ex-girlfriend. I think she's in the audience somewhere tonight, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> I just started working in the media. I wanted to move out of home to the city. It's closer to my secret queer friends, but in some circles of our Arab culture, Moving out before marriage is still taboo. There's this old adage that you only ever really leave the family home in a wedding dress or a tuxedo or in a coffin if you die before you get married. Morbid, I know, but still true for many. 
At first, my parents said, the city is where problem children go, <laughs> children that have no values, <laughs> children that end up on drugs or die of AIDS. You cannot go and live in the city. Many weeks after my campaign to move out began, Amra announces she's bought a house. And it's not next door to her parents. You see, my brother had just bought a house four doors down from my folks for his wife and five kids. That's what my parents hoped for me one day too. Much to everyone's shock, Amra had bought a house, have a guess where, in the city. <laughs> you see, Amra is a widow. That too is a story for another time. Buying a new house of her own was seen as something that would help her move forward. So it wasn't frowned upon so much. I'm the only person who knew that although Amra was widowed after being with a man, years later, she'd grown close to a woman who she's still in a relationship with today. Anyway, Amra's new house needed extensive renovation. In comes gay cliche, Pat, who loves a renovation. <laughs> still true to today. My folks adore her. They'd move mountains for her. After her great loss, they wanted to help and protect her however she needed. So Amra and I colluded, spinning a story that she needed my help renovating the house, and because my new job in the media was, have a guess where? In the city. And very close to her home, it made sense that I would go and live with her. It would make her feel safe having a man in the house. Little did they know her butch dyke girlfriend is more masked than I'll ever be. <laughs> She's a boss. But boom, there it was. The magic word, safe. In my parents' mind, women should never live alone, and ironically, all they ever wanted for Amra and I was to feel safe and to be looked after. So permission granted to move out. Well, sort of. I would sleep at Amra's house a few nights a week, but I still had to go home for a couple of nights. It wasn't moving out. They'd tell the community I was doing a good deed helping Amra, so there'd be no shame or shade thrown on my parents for letting me leave the house before marriage. What they didn't know is that Amr's city house would quickly become a refuge for many other closet gay wogs, Lebanese, Greek, Italian, Iraqi, Christian, Muslim, Maronite, a real mixed bag of queerbos that found solace in our chosen family because we couldn't be out to our own. Amr became our femme lesbian matriarch. The home she created was the only truly welcoming place we knew. Although we were all carrying the huge burden of lying to our families all the time, the dreamy days and uninhibited nights spent at this house were some of the most formative of my gay life, a freedom I and many of my new friends only knew in the confines of the four walls of Amra's house. We laughed, we danced, we fucked, we cried, we shed the pain that comes from living a double life, being stuck between two very complex worlds. And then, just months into this homo haven we'd all found, came that knock at the door. It was 5.59am. Remember, it was the night after one of our biggest, messiest, gorgeous, gay extravaganza house parties. My parents were banging on the door for at least 10 minutes before it woke me. Thankfully, all 25 closet queer wogs scattered across the floor, still high, still reeling from that glorious night, were all too rooted to move or get up. But Amra and I are now wide awake because we hear my mother's voice get louder and louder. I start to see what's about to happen, and the doom sets in. We'd all be outed, 
this place would sink, our lives would be ruined. And I just couldn't let that happen. Through frosted glass panelling on the top half of the front door, my parents can see waist up down a long corridor that runs the length of the bedrooms and the lounge room. The kitchen and bathroom are tucked away at the back of the house. If someone stands in the corridor or walks out of either bedroom, you'll see their shadow right away. Ahmed is in her bedroom right by the front door with her Lebanese Muslim girlfriend. I'm in the bedroom next door with my Catholic Italian boyfriend. <laughs> Ahmed and I don't have our phones. They're dead, sitting somewhere on the kitchen table beneath sticky bags of all kinds of substances and empty bottles of tequila. Neither of us can leave our rooms because if we do, my parents will see us and we'll have to open the front door. How would we explain the girl-on-girl or boy-on-boy coupling asleep all over each other in every fucking room? How would we even wake everyone up to get them out in time? What a conundrum. The knocking at the door doesn't stop, but my mother's shouting finally has. I hear her on the phone trying to call the police. <laughs> They've now been out there for 15 minutes. That's what it felt like. All that's in my head is, fuck! Amra laid on the floor in her room and I laid on the floor in mine. We both opened the door just enough to whisper to one another, what the fuck do we do? <laughs> Amra's tears started and the sound of my closet boyfriend's teeth chattering was unnerving. I had to do something, so I gently pulled my bedroom door open more, just enough to sneak my slinky, laid-upon-the-floor body through. I was twink skinny back then, I promise. I slithered like a snake on my gut down the hallway, waking bodies in the lounge room with an aggressive whisper, wake the fuck up, we're gonna get busted, and we need to get out of here right now. My parents are at the front door, and they're calling the cops. They think I'm in here dead. You see, what my parents didn't know is there's a laneway at the back of the house. No time for questions. Just do what I say, and you will live. Meanwhile, my boyfriend had been frantically texting everyone we knew who wasn't there and owned a car, telling them to get to the back laneway as quickly as they could. His phone had 4% battery left. I distinctly remember seeing that. Just enough juice to get enough responses back that assured us everyone would be able to jump in a car and make a quick getaway. Amra and her girlfriend slither down the hallway and push everyone through the back door like cattle being herded. Many had no clothes on, a bra and undies at most. There was no time to get dressed. They jumped the fence, some pile into two cars that made it to the rescue mission. Others just ran up the laneway as quickly as they could. I looked around at the mess in the kitchen, grabbed a big black garbage bag and scooped up what I could and threw it in a cupboard. Just when I thought, fuck, this is gonna work. We might get out of this okay. I hear my dad say to my mum at the front door, there must be a back laneway. All these city houses have back laneways. Fuck! Dad sets off to the laneway. I jump in the shower and soak myself silly. Then I bolt to the front door in a towel and open up to my mother screaming, saying, oh my God, you're alive. I just called the police. I thought you were dead in here. It had only been 15 minutes, remember. <laughs> Arabs aren't dramatic at all. Apologizing profusely to mum, I said I had music on in the shower and didn't hear the knocking until just now. I'm so sorry, mum, I'm so sorry that I'd woken up early to clean the house that we'd ha as we'd had some of Amr's work colleagues over the night before. That would explain the mess, I'd hoped. While mum rings the cops, back to cancel the emergency call, at my request, my dad comes back through the front door telling me I should be careful because it seemed like some dodgy business was going down in the back lane just up from my house with half-naked people piling into cars. 
And at this point, I laughed so hard saying, yeah, that sounds like something that had happened around here. It's the city, Dad. You know, weird shit happens here. We all laugh together and my mum says, oh, thanks God you're okay and you're not hanging around with people like that. Now, why is this house such a mess? In Arabic, give me a broom, I'll clean up. Lol, that really was the icing on the cake. Having my mum clean up after what went on the night before was a godsend because the place was fucking gross. So I put on a rakwe, that's a cough of, uh, pot of Arabic coffee on the stove. My mum swept and mopped and dusted and dried the dishes while my dad fixed some broken electricals in the lounge room and changed some blown light bulbs. Lo and behold, Amra walks in the front door in active wear saying, oh, what a beautiful morning. I've been out running in the park. Such a great workout. What a surprise to see you here, Dant and Ammo, uncle and auntie in Arabic. I love a subhiyya, which is Arabic for early morning surprise. Shall we make some breakfast, she says. We all sit down at the now Mr. Sheen clean kitchen table. And my mum asks Amra about how she's feeling in the house. Amra replies, it's the safest I've ever felt in my life. Actually, I'm thinking about getting a sign out the front. You know, those ones they put on these old city houses? And I wanted to say, safe house. Thank you. Just a little, um, thank you so much. Just a little postscript that I want to say, um, it's really important for me to share this, that my mum and dad have come a very long way since this story, especially my mum. You know, she's now my biggest supporter, my absolute rock, and we have the most incredible relationship, which I feel incredibly grateful for. She's the most extraordinary person in the world. She really is. I think a lot of people think their mum is the greatest person, but my mum is really the greatest person. <laughs> And I'll get off the stage before I start crying, become a hot mess. She's really grown to become such an incredible advocate for the queer community. And she's literally saving lives every day with the work that she does in her own little way to educate other Arab parents on accepting and embracing their gay children. So I wouldn't be who I am today without her support. She deserves all of that applause. I love you, mum. I love you, Amra. Thank you so much for being incredible humans who inspire me to be better every day. And thank you for listening. Good night. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Queer Stories on Patreon, where you can support the project for as little as $1 per month. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for news and event updates. And follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram.